Hello and welcome to Inside Scoop Live. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Today I'm speaking with Bob Gebeline, author of Dirty Science, How Unscientific Methods Are Blocking Our Cultural Advancement. Bob Gebeline graduated from Harvard with a BA in mathematics in 1956 and then went on to have a legendary career as a computer programmer and creator of software systems. But the main focus of his adult life has been to create a new civilization because of the threat of nuclear annihilation and other cultural problems. His methods were psychotherapy, withdrawal from culture, and dream analysis. He succeeded in his quest by discovering how human nature itself can be changed to compassion and altruism to create a new kind of human being who will then create a new civilization. He is a new civilization with a population of one. His book, Reeducating Myself, describes his search and the answers that he found. His book, The Mental Environment, describes the network of lies from which he extricated himself. Because he is writing from a new civilization, he can view the scientific establishment with some perspective, especially because he is not controlled by it. Also, he brings to dirty science original concepts such as the mental senses, mental warfare, and psychological age, which makes this work a step ahead of the present culture. To learn more about dirty science, visit dirtyscience.net. To learn more about Bob Gebeline and his other works, visit bobgebeline.com. Well, hi, Bob. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Hi. I'm glad to be here. Why don't you start by telling us about your latest book, Dirty Science? Okay, yeah. Let's start with science itself. And Science itself is great. It's a wonderful way to acquire knowledge. I have enormous respect for science. Science has succeeded enormously and has brought us back up out of the Middle Ages here. And I just don't have words uh, powerful enough to express the success of science, first of all. Mm -hmm. But now this science, this success, which has given these scientists enormous status, has created a problem because they are taken as authorities. Anything they say is taken seriously and believed so that when they step out of their fields of expertise into fields that they know absolutely nothing about, uh, like parapsychology, psychic abilities, the ability to see the future, the ability to have precognitive dreams, things which they declare are impossible, um, people take them seriously. They have influence. Um mm-hmm. This is not science. This is what I call dirty science, and they use the methods of dirty politics to uh, impose these beliefs, uh, prejudices, against the spiritual and the psychic. Can you give us some examples? They use ridicule. Um, My mention of Edgar Cayce to a, a scientist I knew immediately brought laughter from him and everybody, 10 people at the table, laughed with him and that was the total discussion of Mm. Edgar Cayce. Um, This is not scientific. I'm a volunteer here at the the Rhine Research Center and and, uh, this is sort of where I've learned that this uh, ridicule is not just ridicule but it causes people to lose their jobs and and it causes them to be blocked from publication and funding 
they, they just lose status. Um, what one uh, psychologist, PhD, and has all the right academic credentials, but because he's associated with parapsychology, um, he's noticed that his colleagues aren't aren't just aren't as friendly to him. You know, he's yeah. sort of socially shunned. So anyway. These tactics used by establishment scientists in the name of science, they say, no, in the name of science, you people are doing pseudoscience. And that, again, I mean, has a false definition, a definition which is based on an actually false report by the National Academy of Sciences. Well, so you mentioned uh, the academic community. So, so that's where the the suppression of this research is begins, right? At the academic level. Yeah, it begins, but of course it extends to the whole culture because two million people a year graduate from college in this country, and they're all indoctrinated into the system. Mm-hmm. And um, the areas that are specifically targeted, you mentioned a few, uh, parapsychology and I guess anything spiritual or psychic falls under that. Yes, but even uh, psychotherapy, which is based on mental, um, I, I go into a lot of uh, discussion in the book on, uh, and I actually know more about psychotherapy because I have been through it. Mm. Uh, I have learned that it can produce a different kind of human being. It can actually change human nature if you, you succeed at it and, and evolve to an adult level. But anyway, the, the, the prejudice, I first observed it in the early 1960s, I think when I was actually going to a psychiatrist, um, and scientists were ridiculing psychology saying that they weren't really doing science because they the establishment now i define the establishment establishment scientists are scientists who study physical phenomena with the physical senses okay um okay now branching off from that we come along with psychologists and psychoanalysts who were studying mental phenomena with the mental senses. And the physical scientists, uh, you know, said that's not science. And the uh, psychologist knuckled under, okay, we'll study physical behavior with the physical senses. And now, of course, they've gone on, they're studying the physical brain with remarkable equipment but it does not tell you what the person is actually thinking feeling dreaming remembering you have to ask that person and they have to observe it with their mental senses and and there's the hypocrisy okay now in a recent interview with reader views you stated that unquestioning Absolute belief in a purely physical reality has become a requirement for membership in the social group science. Um, can you explain? You get shunned. I yeah. mean, it's like a primitive cult. You are shunned. You are ostracized. And actually, at my book signing party here, I mean, three of the 
medical uh, one medical doctor and three PhDs among four people uh, all testified to the fact that their involvement in parapsychology has caused them, you know, like shunned or or some kind of prejudicial actual yeah. action to use yeah. persecution. Yeah. Their their whole livelihood and their whole status, social status, social status. Nobody mm. can question their their academic degrees, but on it's on the social level and, and the sociologists haven't really dealt with this. The sociologists have I've, I've read about experiments with the gang on the street corner and boys at a summer camp and factory workers. They haven't really dealt with academic departments mm. or, or the sociology of academia itself, which is, it's like tight social control. And, and they gave us freedom to think at Harvard, but I quickly learned it was freedom to think as they thought. Mm. So anyway, that there is this suppression. I mean, I compare it to the Dark Ages. Um, I mean, it, as bad as that. And of course, you can you can study shamanism out in the world, but um, that whole New Age thinking is is shunned as part of what is shunned. I mean, the hippies came along, and they discovered the spiritual. Mm -hmm. uh, but my classmate and and they I was actually reading about them fifty years ago taking over University Hall at Harvard and the police coming in and beating everybody with clubs and uh and yeah, they didn't have a real message, but the message on the other side, my classmate who was a class agent, was asking, "Is Harvard listening and And I think that partly um came from this discovering of the spiritual and, and discovering that the academic was um, prejudiced, highly prejudiced against the spiritual and trying to communicate that, which they didn't do successfully and, and Harvard didn't respond. Yeah, but the existence of these things like, um, oh, I don't know, I when I think of spiritual and, and I think of things like... Um, meditation and using affirmations and you know the laws of attraction that kind of stuff is that right am i on the right track is that yes, yes yeah yes absolutely yeah. uh the course established religion does uh rest heavily on on actual spiritual experiences but i mean mainly it's the more modern from the hippies on of i mean yes lsd did open them up to a Mm. spiritual universe and yeah, meditation yoga i don't know very much uh, about these things but uh, i mean i've discovered the spiritual through psychotherapy which if you follow the teachings of carl jung will bring you there freud was prejudiced freud was believed in the physical along with the the, the scientists of mm. his day but jung went i mean when his Patients dreamed of the spiritual. He accepted it. You know, okay, this is the spiritual. Can you give us some examples of things that have been proven outside of the physical? Yes. What there is actual scientific research. The University of Virginia, uh, Ian Stevenson, and his reincarnation 
research uh, discovered um, people mostly in India, uh, young children who remembered their previous lives and, mm. and um, identify objects and things associated with their previous life. This research is ongoing at the University of Virginia. They've identified more than 2,500 cases now wow. of reincarnation. Even in America, where people don't believe, uh, you know, somebody who, who uh, remembered that he was a fighter pilot in World War II or something like that in, in the United States. And, and But yes, there's that research uh, there's been hypnosis into past incarnations, although that gets tricky and can get become fake and so yeah. forth. But yeah. there, there is a lot of research. Now, I don't cover the positive research. There's a pile of research, and I name a whole lot of books, five or six right in the beginning. Um, we have in our library literally a ton of evidence. And yet the National Academy of Sciences has stated that this evidence uh, going back 130 years does not exist. Well, right away, if it's gone back 130 years, then how can they say it doesn't exist? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, so this is huge positive evidence. I'm just trying to point out the negative, but I think we have to get through the negative density. I mean... People are looking over their shoulders in academia. They, uh, they, uh, I do have endorsements from PhDs on the back of this book, but none of the people who are employed in academic positions gave me any response at all on that. Now, okay, that doesn't mean anything. Nothing means nothing. But it is kind of curious that the people who are in academia didn't even respond to my uh, asking them to give me a quotable quote. That kind of speaks for itself. Silence <laughs> speaks for itself. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes, thank you. Now, you offer um, in your book ways to, well, three ways, three rules, rather, to determine whether an opinion is scientific or not. Tell us a little bit about those three rules. Well, this is where I'm taking what is really not such a simple problem than trying to boil it down to a simple answer. First of all, is the scientist using obvious smear tactics, ridicule, pronouncing their authority argument from credentials? Well, you know, I have scientific credentials and you don't, so who are you? No, that's not a valid argument. Okay. And even though scientific credentials are only a heuristic, which means it, it's a rule of thumb. Okay, the person with credentials is uh, more likely to have an accurate answer than than the um, than me, uh, you know, but it's only a rule of thumb. Are they using obvious smear, smear tactics? Are they calling this person a fruitcake or, or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, that That's the first test in the argument. And, and if it sounds like it's rational and reasonable. Okay, the second step, is this person speaking within his, and I say his because it's mostly men who are doing this crap, is this person acting within his field of expertise? 
there was a physicist who um, questioned the field of parapsychology, uh, saying, let's get the pseudos out of the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was back after the Parapsychological Association had been accepted as as a scientific organization. And, and they took the physicist seriously instead of just saying, he's a physicist, he doesn't know anything about parapsychology. They, they actually took him seriously and had an investigation of parapsychology. Now, that's wrong. So anyway, second step is, is this person within his field of expertise? And the third, is this opinion based on replicated scientific studies? Now, you have to know a little bit more about it uh, than just going, oh, this person is a famous scientist. Um, But it's something that, I mean, we can't just believe these people on their authority because they are human beings. Um, I won't say all human beings, but a lot of human beings (laughs) have prejudices and biases, and, and they have all that. They have their scientific disciplines, but they also have prejudices and biases. So these three simple rules, um, are they using smear tactics? Are they operating within their field of expertise? And is this opinion based on replicated scientific studies? There are these three rules. And the idea of my book is that the uh, intelligent reading public people who don't maybe not know much about science but can just spot these uh, illegitimate arguments and put pressure on science to clean up their act. So how does that start? How does change begin? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, actually... I want to reach 100 million people with this, and and I don't know how to do it. Mm. I've reached about maybe four tight supporters here. Um, but I'm realizing with these reviews that there are 100 million people who are against me to start with. Mm. And maybe that's a better way of getting change to, you know, make people realize that I am the underdog and there's huge odds against me. I'm up against formidable opposition. I've uh, told people, well, you know, I'm not Superman. I can't do this alone. I need a lot of people to support me. I I thought, you know, originally, um, if I don't get half a million readers, the scientific community can just totally ignore me. And whether I'll ever be able to get that many readers in the face of this kind of opposition, I, I really don't know. Um, <laughs> one of my supporters is, is, just said it's unreasonable, and, and uh, I, I totally agree it's unreasonable, but I'm doing it. This book needs to be written. Yeah. Well, it's been written, so now it needs to be read, right? <laughs> yeah, it needs, it needs to be. Thank you, yes. Yeah. I actually like that you set that that kind of goal. You put it out there. That's kind of how, you know, affirmations work. You put it out there like it's already happened. and I mean, that was the idea, the whole idea of setting that goal. Right. You know, 
I'm not going to just say, oh, yeah, I'd be happy to sell 10,000 copies, which I'd be delighted to sell 10,000 copies. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm putting that affirmation. This, these are the people who need to read this book. Anybody who thinks that scientists, first of all, are objective, which is a lie that at least since 1903 has mm. been pounded out of, and or anybody who thinks that there is such a thing as academic freedom needs to read this book. Hmm. Now, you do have um, your website, dirtyscience.net. You do have the first chapter available for everyone to read, correct? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yes, I do. Okay. So that's a good start. Yes, it is. Everybody can read that for, for nothing. It's most of the argument of the book is in that first chapter. The first chapter is, is the essence uh, of the book, the, the main argument, which I, I say is seems to be simple, but isn't really that simple. You're considering social forces and how can this happen and so forth. Yeah. But yes, you can read that first chapter for nothing. That's a great deal and a great way to get the word out. Yes, um, yes. Any final thoughts you want to leave with the audience today? Just that a couple of reviewers have complained that that I don't have the answer, and I don't have the answer, and I'm not claiming to be Superman. Uh, I'm just trying to make people aware that there is a problem, that academic people are constrained and um, confined. I mean, their thinking is limited by what their peers will allow them to think. Anyway, um, this is where I'm going to end. I don't know whether I'm going to live, but I'm doing this. Bob, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you for joining us and and for sharing the news about Dirty Science. Okay, and, and thank you for getting the word out for me. To our listeners, thank you for joining me today on Inside Scoop Live for my interview with Bob Gebeline, author of Dirty Science. To learn more about Dirty Science, visit DirtyScience.net. To learn more about Bob Gebeline and his other works, visit BobGebeline.com. And be sure to check out our other interviews at InsideScoopLive.com. 